So our uh, Advent series, uh, if you're jumping into it, uh, has been focusing on the, the Sundays of Advent uh, this year on the way Jesus is introduced to us in the four Gospels, on that it's really in the these four accounts of Jesus's life that we learn primarily who Jesus is and what he did, uh, and that each one of them introduces Jesus to us in a subtly different way, focusing on uh, a different aspect of who he is and applying that in a somewhat unique way, although they all certainly overlap in a lot of ways too. And uh, two weeks ago, we started with Matthew's gospel and how he introduces Jesus as the promised offspring of Abraham, the promised son of David, uh, the one who really fulfills all of God's promises uh, throughout time uh, to his people, who brings God's long-awaited salvation, the fulfillment of God's plan for us, uh, and demonstrates to us God's faithfulness, the fact that he does have a plan and does fulfill promises, uh, which are for our salvation. Uh, last week, uh, we highlighted Mark's gospel and how Mark introduces Jesus as a full-grown man, not just uh, a man, but a, a king uh, full of energy and activity uh, to bring about our salvation and calls on us to be uh, filled with a similar energy and activity uh, to repent of our sins, turn away from selfishness and idolatry, uh, to receive Jesus as king uh, with all the blessings uh, that he brings. We're not going in order, uh, so uh, today we're talking about John's gospel, uh, that John introduces Jesus in a, in a fairly unique way, even compared to just how all the gospels are slightly different, uh, shining a, a light from above, if you will, uh, with a, a bit of a, more of a heavenly perspective on uh, who Jesus is and what that means for us. Uh, to give you just a brief bird's eye of John, uh, we're talking about the human author, John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. And so when we talk about John the Baptist in the first chapter of John, he's not talking about himself, uh, but another guy with the same name. Uh, the other key feature to remember about John is that John does stand out amongst the four Gospels, being written later than the synoptics. Uh, if you're not familiar, the term synoptics means same view and refers to how Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all written from a very similar uh, point of view uh, that include mostly the same events of Jesus' life, many of them expressed in even the same words, where John, uh, written later and separately, uh, has a markedly different focus with a lot of stuff that's not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or, and leaving aside some of the stuff that is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so John is a, has a number of differences uh, that can be highlighted. Uh, probably the best way to sum them up, though, uh, and to kind of focus in on them is that John writes from a heavenly perspective. And I've got the owl here. Uh, but if you remember the uh, tetramorph, the uh, 
creature with four different faces, or as it's relayed in Revelation, four different living creatures uh, before the throne of God in heaven. Uh, the ancient church writers used that as a symbol for the four Gospels and attributed each of the Gospels to one of those different uh, images that Matthew was equated with a man because he related Jesus' humanity, Mark with a lion because uh, he focused on Jesus' kingship. John is always recognized as the eagle uh, because uh, he's taking a bird's eye view of Jesus and his ministry looking at things from a more heavenly perspective, uh, while the the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are kind of trudging around from an earthly perspective, like the ox, the man, and the lion are on the ground. John's soaring up here with a very heavenly perspective. And we see that in a couple different ways, both as John introduces Jesus at the beginning of his gospel, and as he continues to focus on the heavenly nature of Jesus' purpose and ministry throughout the gospel. So to start off with, John's introduction of Jesus uh, focuses on Jesus' divine nature, where, again, Matthew and Luke start with Jesus' birth. Uh, Mark starts with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John starts with the beginning of everything, Uh, that I'm talking more broadly about the whole first chapter of John here than just our our gospel lesson. And John 1 verse 1 is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things were created, and nothing was created that was not created by Him, to loosely paraphrase. Uh, that he drives home this idea of Jesus' pre-existence in the beginning, uh, identifying Jesus as the creator uh, who made all things so that nothing exists that was not made by him. It's noteworthy uh, to hammer home this point that John's gospel begins exactly the same way Genesis begins. In the beginning, uh, that he's not just <clears throat> happening or, or arbitrarily starting at the very creation. Uh, he's literally retelling Genesis, uh, highlighting Jesus as the creator. And he uses a, a metaphor in speaking of Jesus of the logos, as the Greek word we translate into word. Uh, that doesn't fully capture its meaning in Greek society where logos was understood uh, by philosophers as a term relating to kind of the organizing power of the universe uh, that uh, was the foundation for reality uh, that uh, would have been understood by his early readers as, again, referencing uh, this is the creator we're talking about. And he makes it very clear that this is Jesus that the term refers to as he goes on to describe how the Word made flesh and uh, became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Uh, John introduces uh, Jesus not as as someone who happened to come into the world at one point, um, but as someone who made the whole world. And when he came into the world, as John says, he came into his own. 
He came to what already belonged to him, even before he came into it to redeem it. Uh, that it was all already his because he made it. That he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to those who did believe in him, he gave the power to become children of God. Uh, John also in chapter 1 refers to Jesus as the true light. Uh, that This light that gives life to all men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not received it. Again, going back to the very beginning of creation, light was the first thing created, although John isn't identifying Jesus as something that was created first. He already highlighted that Jesus is the creator. And yet, in speaking of him as the light, he highlights in Jesus' fundamental uh, role in creation, uh, that the word, the light, uh, all represent very elemental, basic building blocks of, of what is, uh, without which there really is nothing. We are silent in the dark. Uh, Jesus is what breaks the silence, breaks the darkness, and gives meaning and significance to our eyes and our ears uh, to know God. And so <clears throat> John is a beginning with a very uh, strong focus on Jesus' divine nature, introducing Jesus as the very God of very God, very light of very light, uh, to uh, highlight that he is not just an important historical figure who showed up at one point, uh, a wise rabbi, a, a moral teacher, uh, that this is a, a story that begins... Uh, really before any of ours begin, before the story of the world begins, it is a story about Jesus. And so that's certainly a more heavenly perspective because he introduces Jesus when no one was around to see Jesus yet. He also takes a more heavenly perspective on what we've already been discussing uh, from Mark. Uh, you heard in our gospel lesson about John the Baptist uh, proclaiming Jesus and uh, baptizing uh, people. Uh, John brings that in very early in chapter 1 as well. Uh, the uh, role of John the Baptist and of baptism. And yet he puts a, a very different spin on it where Mark highlights all the people coming out to be baptized uh, by John, that many were being baptized, confessing their sins. Uh, that in John's gospel, uh, we have the Pharisees asking John why he is baptizing, uh, a general reference to the fact that he is baptizing, but it doesn't refer to him baptizing people. I mean, obviously he was, but the language that's used doesn't talk about any baptisms of someone until Jesus. That the first uh, a baptism of someone we read about in John is the baptism of Jesus. Um, because John's gospel is focusing not on the baptism of others and Jesus being baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to be baptized like everyone else but on the uniqueness of Jesus' baptism uh, that implies that we are baptized to be like him, 
And John even describes that baptism very clearly uh, and uniquely in John's gospel, uh, where uh, John tells uh, the people when he sees Jesus, this is the one uh, whom <coughs> who, uh, I came to baptize, uh, who this is why I came baptizing, so that he may be made manifest in Israel. That the whole purpose of baptism, as John relays it, is for Jesus to be made known. This is the, why I came baptizing, in order that he may be made manifest. Uh, he goes on uh, to say how uh, this worked in very real ways for himself. He said, I myself did not recognize him. But the one who told me to baptize uh, said uh, that the one on whom the, the dove descends, this is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And this is how he was made known to John. Uh, that the baptism in, in uh, John's gospel serves to reveal Jesus as the Son of God, the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, uh, the Christ, the Messiah. And that baptism uh, is the revelation of Christ. Uh, not, again, something that uh, so much that Jesus did to be like us, uh, but something that we have to become like Jesus, uh, to be involved in his story. And so John's description uh, of baptism in Jesus' introduction uh, highlights a, a somewhat different aspect of it uh, that's just as valid as Mark's uh, emphasis on uh, baptism for repentance and the forgiveness of sins to prepare the way for Christ. Uh, John uh, the Baptist's uh, dialogue or monologue in the beginning of John's gospel, the other John's gospel, uh, also highlights the heavenly nature of Jesus' purpose and mission. Uh, that at the beginning of the, <clears throat> the narrative, when we actually get into real time after creation, one of the first statements we read is John's proclamation, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. And if you're familiar with the significance of lambs in the, the biblical story, that this clearly points to Jesus as the sacrifice. Uh, that his purpose is to come as a sacrifice for sin. Uh, you can't get any more clear or direct than that to point out again that Jesus' is coming is not to impart wisdom uh, to us, to teach us right from wrong, to guide us uh, into knowledge. That Jesus is the Lamb of God who comes to be killed in order that we might be rescued from our sin. And so Jesus' is coming, his purpose and his mission is very clearly and directly established in John as having a sacrificial uh, uh, significance relating to directly to our relationship with God. And that is, is continued throughout John's gospel. When we get into chapter 2, we read uh, the uh, 
story of the cleansing of the temple. Now, Jesus' immediate uh, uh, response to the beginning of his ministry, first thing is to cleanse the temple, to purify the worship of God. Uh, right away dealing with man's interaction with God and how that can be established in, in, uh, in a right way uh, to remove the obstruction of sin between us and God. Not just to heal sick people, not just to teach us what is good, um, but to deal with this heavenly reality that, uh, of our connection uh, between us and God in a priestly way, cleansing the temple is forefronted here at the beginning of John. Again, establishes who Jesus is and what he's really about. And it's only John who has this first cleansing of the temple, uh, where Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, relate the cleansing of the temple uh, when Jesus comes uh, to Jerusalem for the final Passover. Uh, through, as John continues, uh, this is something that I never even noticed until I went to seminary and took a class on John. Jesus is basically always in Jerusalem in John. Oh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read about all the things he did in Galilee, Capernaum, uh, even in the Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It seems like in John, Jesus is basically always in Jerusalem for a feast of dedication or the feast of booths or for a uh, an earlier Passover uh, before the one when he uh, gave his life, uh, that John focuses on what Jesus did in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the site of the temple. Uh, uh, that he chose Jesus there on his mission of salvation in very liturgical uh, temple uh, uh, context. Uh, We also have in John, then, the bread from heaven discourse. I mentioned earlier how uh, John diverges from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in a number of ways. One of the significant ones uh, that's often highlighted is how John doesn't tell the story of the uh, words of institution in the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the uh, institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, John basically says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke covered that. I don't need to do that. Uh, and uh, doesn't uh, mention that uh, in the Last Supper. Uh, but what he does bring up is something Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't. In John chapter 6, a lengthy uh, discourse after Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, where uh, he refers to himself as the bread, the true bread from heaven. Not like the manna uh, that their ancestors ate in the wilderness, but the true bread from heaven uh, that we can eat and never die. Uh, the true bread from heaven that gives eternal life and goes on uh, to very clearly foreshadow the Lord's Supper uh, with language like, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And this bread from heaven dialogue again, she sees Jesus as the one from above uh, that highlights his heavenly origin and his heavenly purpose. uh, That uh, all who uh, eat his body and drink his blood have true life and he will raise them up on the last day. 
finally another very strong feature of John uh, that highlights the, uh, 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 this aspect of Jesus' uh, priestly work, essentially, uh, of uh, coming from heaven to uh, renew our relationship with God in heaven and bring us back uh, to heaven uh, is really an extension of the focus on Jerusalem uh, rather than Galilee, but a specific aspect of that, that John focuses really hard on Jesus' final visit to Jerusalem uh, for his last Passover. That chapters 12 through 20 of John, almost half the book, take place within one week of Jesus' life. And that John is basically saying, Jesus came to Jerusalem for the Passover and gave his life. And some other stuff happened before that. Uh, that uh, the highlight is really on Jesus' sacrifice. And uh, what John is doing to fill up all those chapters is relaying a, a great deal of Jesus' high priestly prayer, as it's called in his final words to his disciples uh, on the night when he was betrayed. And so John is really emphasizing uh, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. That's who he is. And he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he does. So what does this mean for us? Uh, To have John introduce Jesus to us in this way that Uh, How do we understand and apply that? Well, we can benefit from taking a similar heavenly perspective ourselves, uh, from understanding uh, our lives from a more bird's-eye view, uh, from a heavenly perspective uh, that is so, so important because it's easy to get mired in worldly things Uh, And from a worldly perspective, uh, that makes it hard to see God's saving presence among us. Makes it hard to see God at work among us. Because we can't see Jesus walking around still today. He ascended into heaven at the end of Luke. And uh, so what's going on now? How can we see God's saving presence around us? Especially when we see so much danger and hardship uh, around us from which we need to be saved. The news is full of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, The uh, price tags in the grocery store uh, seem to get a little bit higher every day. How do we see God in all of this? Well, we need a a heavenly perspective uh, to see more than just the the hardship and struggle around us. uh, To understand from a broader view where God is in all of this. And it's difficult because many people will tell us, well, God isn't here. Others will tell us to look to earthly things to see God. Uh, That we should expect 
to health and wealth and prosperity in this life or something like that as signs of God's presence. But what John shows us uh, is essentially baptism in the Lord's Supper. Right? He points us uh, to baptism as our connection with God, uh, the means by which God comes to us and reveals his saving presence, that we can know that our baptism truly does connect us with Christ, as Paul will go on to talk about in Romans chapter 6, that all of you who have been baptized have been joined with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. That uh, Galatians chapter 3, that all of you who have been baptized have been clothed in Christ. That our baptism is how God has connected to us and made us his children. The Lord's Supper is God's saving work in the presence uh, where we receive his very body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, uh, to experience true life and receive the power of his resurrection. In this, uh, we can recognize uh, that Jesus doesn't just come to us to be a part of our story. Uh, that God in his grace has drawn us into his story. That he has brought us to himself uh, to make us his children uh, so that uh, we can receive the full blessings of fellowship and relationship with him forever. Well, John's gospel then gives us a, a wonderful hope and comfort in the, the middle, midst of a, a topsy-turvy world. It doesn't depend on whether things are, are going well in our story uh, or at the moment, uh, but teaches us uh, to recognize uh, that we are part of a, a bigger story, of God's story, a one that is continually being made manifest in our lives as he comes to us in holy communion and in which uh, we know uh, there is a, a glorious happy ending that we will one day uh, be with him and each other forever in heaven. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until the day of his glorious return. Amen.